You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. I wonder what is the most determined you have ever been. What's the most determined you've ever been? I wonder if you could think perhaps it was um, getting a job or, or getting the right grades. Perhaps it was getting a spouse. Perhaps losing weight or learning a new skill. The most determined you've ever been. This, this summer, uh, a few times, my children went with my wife roller skating. And my eldest um, is a very determined boy. And he came back with bruises all over him. But he learned how to roller skate. My second son lay on the floor and said, I'm not going to get this. He wasn't as determined. But they went again later on in the summer. And my second one came to, uh, he came to me afterwards and said, I fell down loads of times, but I got back up and I got it. He got it. He was determined. He pushed through and got there. I wonder how many of you have that sort of story. You know, there's something I wanted so much, I made sure I got it. I made sure I got there. And th- th- this story, we see two determined men. They were, they were determined. They, in faith, acted. They sought Jesus out. Not because of what they'd seen, obviously, but because of what they'd heard. They'd heard about this man who was going to and fro, healing people, setting people free, changing people's lives, and they were aware, I need that myself. I'm in need. And what did they do? They, they acted. They moved into action. We can so often want things and leave it there. But these men... They knew, I'm, I need some help. I need something. They weren't naive about their condition. They knew they were broken in some way. And it was difficult for them. How easy is it for blind people to follow somebody? But it says, as he passed on from there, two blind men followed him. Think about that. What would that entail? Well, they'd have to be listening out for what's going on. Maybe they had to ask people, can you, can you help? Is that Jesus? Is that the, the Nazarene? Is that the one that everyone talks about? Yeah, that, yeah, okay, can you help me? It would have had to have been a humility about them, a determination. Maybe they were covered in bruises, having had to get through crowds and walk to places they weren't familiar with, but they were determined. They weren't going to let this go. They weren't preoccupied with perhaps anger and bitterness about their condition. Many of us know that there's things in our lives that we think, this is not the way I would have chosen it. And we let that thought be the thought that we mull over again and again and again. Why did God let this happen? Why would he leave me in this condition? We don't know how they were blind, whether they were blind from birth or whether something happened to them. But we can go through things and, and be stuck on, why would God let this happen? I, I'm angry with him. These men were not letting that be their, their preoccupation. No, they were humble men. They were perhaps humbled because of how they became blind. Maybe they made a foolish choice. They did something that blinded them, got into a silly situation. But either way, they knew, who am I kidding here? I am. I'm broken. I'm in need. And these men 
were determined to push through and find Jesus. What is it that can stop us from going to Jesus, to going to God with our needs? Well, perhaps it's pride. Perhaps they could have been the sort of people who say, um, yeah, I know I'm blind. I'm not, I'm, I've got a problem with it. Okay, I don't need any help. That's who I am. I heard a story about, uh, I read a story in the paper about a blind person or blind people on trains who are fed up with Christians saying to them, can I pray for you? They find it offensive. Stop telling me there's something wrong with me. This is just who I am. And I understand that. And I would be frustrated if people kept coming to me and saying, can I pray for you because of this? Well, they don't know you at all. And... But these, people, these two men, they're not saying, no, I don't need any help. Fine as I am, thank you very much. No, they're... They're humble enough to say, I need. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. We can often think, oh, I don't need any help. I don't need you, God. I don't need Jesus. Perfectly happy how I am, thank you very much. Or perhaps it could be laziness. Just kind of, yeah, I know I know it would be great. I hear this this man going around who's healing people, and it would be it'd be wonderful to be healed, but but what are you gonna do? You know, what can I do? Let's just carry on how we are. But no, they were determined, they pushed through. It says in Proverbs 13: the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Oh, I wish I could see. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Be amazing to see. But if they're sluggards, they're gonna get nothing. Whereas the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And in diligence, in determination, they decided, let's move. Let's push through. Let's, let's make sure we meet with this Jesus. I noticed something else as well. The very thing that they would want to meet with Jesus for, their blindness, could have easily been the thing that prevented them going to him, couldn't it? How true is that often? Of us. The very thing that I need Jesus for is the thing that's stopping me. I would love to go to Jesus, but how on earth am I going to get there? I'm blind. Oh well, not going to do it. What about us? I, I'd love to, to go to Jesus, but I'm, I'm filthy. That thing I did, I, I, I can't go to him. I'm guilty. I can't go to him. I'm ashamed. Well, that's why you need to go to him. That's why he's, that's, these men have realized this. I could say I can't go because I'm blind, but instead I'm saying I'm going to go because I'm blind. I can't go to him because I'm guilty, I'm ashamed, I'm a mess. No, I'm going to go to him because I'm guilty and I'm ashamed and I'm a mess. And he's the answer. These men are determined. I'm going to push through these excuses, these reasons. They also cry aloud. They cry aloud. They're not holding back. They're not worried so much about irritating other people. They're not British. They're not going, Jesus, Jesus, is that him? Jesus, can you? No, son of David. They cry aloud. They know, I need you. I need you. I need you to come in. I need you to change something. I'm in need. People could well and probably were fed up with them. They were blind. Potentially, probably they were beggars then. They were probably outcasts. People probably would have thought, oh, just go away. Just get out of the way. No. Son of David. They're determined. I'm not going to be bothered about what other people think. I'm not going to hold back because some people might sneer. I need him. 
I need him. And they said, son of David. Now, there's a lot to be read into this, and we'll talk about this more. But first of all, we could see, what are they, what are they saying when they say son of David? Well, they're nailing their colors to the mast. They're not saying, teacher. Many people came to Jesus and said, teacher. And it's very interesting if you look at where the accounts of where the people say teacher or rabbi, and then the ones where they say Lord, and you see what happens in the stories. People come to him as teacher, and they often they go away. Nothing's changed. People come to him and say, Lord. They see their lives change. They realize, I need to come under this one. I need to see him as the leader. I need to see him as the sovereign. This person, is, these people are saying, son of David. What are they saying? Well, they know. He's the, they, they're putting their, their colors on the mask saying, I believe you are the promised one. The promised one. The line of David is promised the Messiah. The Savior that will be in the line of David will be the son of David. They could easily say, oh, let's just, let's just uh, you know, let's hold some of our chips back here. This could be quite embarrassing. Jesus, can we just chat to you in private? Uh, we've heard you. We've heard these things about you. Is it possible you might be this? No. They shout. They call out, son of David. They nail their colors to the mast. They were clear where they stood on who Jesus was. I know who this is. I believe who this is. Now, all these things together, there's a challenge for us. It could be for you that you've been coming along here for weeks and months. And you've, you know, think of uh, poker where people put a few chips in. I'm just playing it safe. I'm still sitting on the fence here, you know. And maybe it's just time for you to say, I love the way they do this. I love their, the things you can learn from these men. They know. Who am I kidding? I need help. And he's the one I'm going to get it from. And it could be so many of us are sitting on the fence, holding back. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Maybe, maybe you know, if you're honest, I said the prayer, as it were, when I was seven or eight years old. Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life. And ever since then, I've been sitting on the fence. I don't live my life all in. I don't trust that he is son of David, son of God, the one, the answer to my deepest need. If you're honest with yourself, perhaps you should learn from these men today and just think, what am I doing with my life? Am I going to get to my deathbed and think, well, I kind of, you know, I hedged my bets. I think I got a little bit of the best of both worlds. Learn from these men. What did they get? Freedom, liberation. They got their greatest need physically met with. Found freedom and liberation. Were they, were they embarrassed? Possibly they had to break through some of that. But they decided it was worthwhile. And they found the living Son of God came into their life and turned it upside down. If you know, I'm, I'm sort of the one who holds back a little bit. Jesus says, if you come to me, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. There's something about follow, following Jesus that is all in. That's saying, I die to myself. I die to my life. It's in him that I now live. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. I'm all in. Therefore, to die is gain. I'm, with, I'm in Christ on earth or I'm with Christ. Either way, I'm all in. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And these men push through and they find their brokenness met with. And this is interesting. Jesus says, do you believe I'm able to do this? Do you believe I'm able to do this? 
And it's, he's, he's pushing past this sort of rhetorical thing. This, yeah, theoretically, yeah, I think you can. No, he's saying, okay, this is the moment. The rubber hits the road. Do you believe I'm able to do this? The question is not whether you believe in God, but do you believe in the God that you believe in? Do you believe in him here now? There's that song, I believe in Jesus. Yep, I believe that. It's in here. I believe he is the son of God. Yep, in here, yeah. I believe he died and rose again. Yes, amen, love it. I believe he paid for us all. Wow, and I believe that he's here now. What? weird here now standing in our midst yeah here with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive that's different not just yeah i believe it says it there and uh yeah hopefully that you know i I can answer loads of questions the pharisees believed they knew it inside out they memorized the first five books of the bible But, but did they believe he was there with them No, Jesus confronted them and said, look, you know when the... He said, you look at the skies and you can see when it's going to rain. You look at the skies and and the wind going, you can see it's going to be a sunny day. How can you not see the times that you're in now? How can you not see who I am? I believe in Jesus. But do I believe he's here now? Standing in our midst. Here with the power to heal now. Do you believe I can do this? What do they say? Yes. Lord. Yes, Lord. They don't believe theoretically. They believe he can act. And what does he do? He touches their eyes and their eyes are opened. It's incredible. Their eyes are opened. And this is, this is a, an incredible display of power, power and intimacy. You may be thinking, I'm a mess. I've got messy things. I've got broken things in my life. Things that I just am ashamed that he would even know about. Things that are a barrier between me and him. You know, Jesus, the son of God, didn't come to be at a distance. He came to touch. He touches their most broken part. He puts his fingers on their eyes. He came to come into your orbit. To come into your brokenness. He didn't come to say, okay, I can come and you better sort yourself out. I'm coming with a whip. I'm coming to, to, to break you. No, I'm coming to, to touch you, to let you know intimacy with me. I'm coming that you may know life in abundance. And I'm going to do that by touching you, putting my holy hands, my righteous hands on your brokenness, on the thing that you might be ashamed of, that you might think, no, I can't, I can't open up to that. I can't let him see that part of me. No, no. You've got to know this, some of you, today. This is a God of acceptance, a God of love, a God of affirmation. He affirms them. I'm going to touch you. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes. Good. It's done. No, no. Okay. He puts his hands on their faces, on their heads. He touches them and they, they see, they find this breakthrough. You believe that God wants to be involved in your life? Wants to touch your, your maybe your physical brokenness, even more so your spiritual soul brokenness. He wants to come in and and bless you, intimacy. And it's a display of power, a display that proves that their faith was in the right place. Your faith was right. You've done well. 
And as Jesus told John the Baptist's disciples, you may remember this, Jesus later on in Matthew, and I think it's in other Gospels as well, John the Baptist sends his, his disciples, says, go and ask Jesus, are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we be waiting for another one? What does Jesus say? Go and tell John what you have seen, what you have heard. And then he, he pulls out, refers to Isaiah, where it says, the blind receive, sorry, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Some people think Jesus never claimed to be God. People say, oh no, he's just a good teacher, he's just a, a lovely man, he's, a, he's ahead of his time. That's very easy, isn't it? We don't need to actually respond to anything if that's all he is, that's a coincidence. No, he's saying here, when he says to John the Baptist, are you the one? Well, go and tell him what you see. Because what was promised was the blind would have their eyes open. The deaf would hear. Good news would be preached. Do you see that? Yes, I do. I am. I'm that one. Jesus was very clear. He was the one that was promised. And he then does something in verse 30 that I find hilarious. You've got to find this funny. I mean, if you think about it. As he has shown that he is the promised one who opens blind eyes, he sternly warns them, see to it. That nobody knows about this. I mean, think about it. They've just had their lives turned around and their eyes opened. They were probably looking at each other going, Whoa! It's amazing. Look at, look at the light. Look at the colors. It's amazing. Jesus says, Okay, see to it. See to it. Yes, see. I can see. It's amazing. Whatever you ask, whatever, what are you going to say? See to it. Yeah, whatever you ask that nobody knows about. Hey, what? What? I mean, I almost think Jesus was messing with them if he hadn't sternly warned them. I could imagine him going, watch this, disciples. See to it, nobody knows. What? How are they going to do that? They're walking around afterwards. I can see the trees. I can see the sky. Look, this is amazing. I can see people. I can see their faces. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm blind. Frank, yeah, what are we doing? Where are we? Who's there? Have they gone yet? Yeah, they're gone. Okay, good. How, they, how, how on earth are they going to pretend that they're blind still? And for how long? Are they talking about five years later? They're still going around going, this is ridiculous. I can see, but I'm <laughs> pretending I can't walking around like this. It's crazy. I think it's hilarious. How is it even possible? Well, what does he actually mean? He means they shouldn't go shouting their mouths off about him. He means they shouldn't do exactly what they do do. How do we know this? Because it says, but... He told them not to do something, but, but what? But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. That's what he didn't want them to do. Don't do this, but they did this. Jesus actually said, he said this a number of times in the Gospels, a number of times in Matthew. He, he would heal people and say, don't tell anyone about this. He said to his disciples one time, don't tell people that I am the Messiah. What? Well, why? Why doesn't Jesus want his fame to grow? Does Jesus not want his fame to grow? If he doesn't, we're in big trouble. Because our church vision is making Jesus famous in Ipswich and the nations. We missed something here. He doesn't like it. No, that's not the point. At this time, he doesn't want people aware of his arrival. But there's also something more to it than that. The way they, 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 they speak to him, they call him son of David. There's overtones to that. This Jewish messianic hope was that the promised one 
would be like David the Philistine smasher. We're going to get the son of David. Do you remember what he did? He liberated us from our captivity. He smashed up Goliath. He, he tore down the Philistines and we were free. And we've been in bondage to, to the Romans for years now. They treat us like scum. And they, they started to let this political overtone come into their idea of the Messiah. They started to think the Messiah is going to be the one that, that desecrates the enemy. He's going to be like David. He's going to chop off the enemy's head. Or maybe he's going to be like Moses who liberated Israel from the Pharaoh, the oppression and the tyranny of Egypt. He's going to come and do something physical that will break down our enemy. He's going to come and he's going to use force. For centuries, the prophets of Israel had foretold the coming of a Messiah from Adam to Malachi. The prophets told the people of the day when the God of Israel would deliver them as a savior and redeemer. That's what it says through the Old Testament. And it's true. And they started to hear because, of, because they were dwelling on the bitterness, dwelling on their plight, their circumstance. That's what, was, that's what they were taken up with, consumed by. They started to read that into, this is what the Messiah is going to be. And they, they had good reason. It says in Isaiah, just for one example, this one that we'll all know from Christmas, Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, sorry, yeah, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Yeah, he's going to be on the throne of David. He's going to rule with righteousness and justice. He's going to come in and smash the enemy apart. And this was how they started to read their Messiah. So when they said, son of David, Jesus was aware. You think this. You think that I'm that Messiah. They were in bondage to these Romans. And it wasn't the first time they'd been in bondage to a foreign nation. And nor would it be the last. The people came to see the Messiah, not as one who would provide atonement for their sins, but as one who would deliver them from their enemies by physical force. Even some of his own disciples were like this. Peter was uh, a zealot. He, he was uh, what we, we could even see today as a um, terrorist. Somebody said, we're going to take this by force. We're taking back what is ours by force. Jesus had to come in and help people to see I'm not that Messiah. That's not your greatest need. So when Jesus sternly warned them not to spread the word and of, his, of his fame, he was forbidding them to spread the arrival of this political Messiah that they had misconceived and misunderstood. No, don't go and tell people that that one has arrived. That's not what I've come to do. They expected a savior who would establish his throne by bringing justice down on their guilty oppressors. A Messiah who would pour out the wrath of God onto their enemies and free them from their oppressive circumstances. But as we see in the history of Israel, being freed from physical oppression was not their greatest need. Look at the story of the Exodus and, and uh, Moses hel helping the people walk out of slavery of Egypt. And were their problems solved? Not at all. They walked out of a physical bondage, but they were completely in bondage still. What did they use their freedom to do? They were slaves to their desires. 
Their insecurities ruled them. Their lusts consumed them. Their fear overwhelmed them, and they continued to reject God. So they were, they were free from Egypt. That's yeah, brilliant. That's great. But, but they were still slaves to, to their greatest oppressor. When David killed Goliath and led Israel as a mighty king, the people eventually used their freedom to sexually abuse and murder each other. Is their greatest need that they would be freed from physical oppressors? No. Jesus didn't come just to do that. He, come from, from, he came for a much deeper need. He wasn't coming as a political warrior to free people from oppressive, oppressive regime. Jesus' mission, the one his face was set like flint for, he was never turning away from this. He was consumed with this, was to obey his father by liberating mankind from the oppressor we have had since we chose to turn away from God in Genesis 3. That's what he came to liberate us from. Genesis 3, we turned away from God. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. The devastating slavery of the human heart is slavery to sin. That's what Jesus came to destroy. That's what he came to overcome. And when he demanded that people not spread his fame, it was because he didn't, want, he didn't come to be lifted up as king. Don't lift me up as king. They tried to do that, didn't they, at one point? No, I haven't come to be lifted up as king. He didn't come to fight against Rome. He came to be lifted up on a cross. He came not to pour out the wrath of God on his enemies, but to take God's wrath upon himself and die for his enemies. Even in moments like this encounter with these blind men, he's healing them. And do you know what's on his mind? Do you know what's on his heart? He is consumed. He set his face like flint towards his mission. Even in that moment, why would you say don't go and tell people? Because I'm consumed. I'm thinking of mankind's deepest need. He's thinking about his bride, who he would make pure. Do you know what? He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. And he says, don't tell other people. I've got a bride I need to save got a church I need to win. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was set towards the day when he would overcome the oppressor of our hearts so that we would never need to turn back to fear and insecurity like the Israelites after they were set free from Israel, from Egypt. We never need to turn back to fear and insecurity so that we could run free from lust and run free from shame so that our fleshly desires would no longer rule over us because he smashed them. He smashed sin. He's broken the curse of sin. He came not just to set people free from their circumstances or even to make all circumstances better. He came to take away the barrier of sin between God and man once for all. He came that you might love God and be loved by him. That's why Jesus came. I haven't come to set you free from people. I've come to set you free in your soul. Come to liberate the captives, that people might love God and be loved by him. Your greatest need is not money, is not a better job, is not a boyfriend, is not to be respected, is not to be safe, is not to have your children safe. These are not your greatest need, and yet they can consume you. Your greatest need is to know God. And Jesus came that you might know God. That you might love him and that he might love you. And he rose to life in resurrection victory. And he's coming again. 
It says in John 14, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He came to set us free, and he will come back to establish his throne, to establish his kingdom. There's one small point just to make before we finish up here. The two men, they disobeyed God. They disobeyed Jesus. He said, don't do this. They went away and did it. It doesn't say, and then they lost their eyesight again. I just, I just want you to think about that. If you're somebody who says, God's told me to do things. I haven't done them. I've missed it. I've messed up. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If you're here thinking, I've messed up. His mercy goes further than your sin. His grace goes further than your sin. Turn to him and receive his love. They disobeyed. He didn't say, right, that's it. No, he loves them because he loves them, not because of their behavior. He loves you because of his love for you. So the men were right and they were wrong. They were right in that they put their faith on the line. They put their money where their mouths were. They nailed their colors to the mast. They shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on us. That is the best thing you can do with your life. If you still haven't done that, you need to do that. Jesus, have mercy on me. Perhaps you need to say that today. I'm nailing my colors to the mast. I've been on the fence too long. I've been holding back too long. I need to say today, Jesus, Son of God, Son of David, you are the one. You are the Messiah. You're the promised one. Maybe you need to say, I believe this. I believe he is the son of David, the son of God who came to deal with my deepest need, my sinful heart. And I ask for his forgiveness for my sin and freedom for my soul. Have mercy on me. And so they were right. And we want to follow them where they were right. And they were wrong about Jesus' mission. Perhaps you recognize today that even though you've believed that Jesus is your savior for a long time, you thought that his mission was to make your life more comfortable, to make your circumstances better, but you haven't turned to him with your deepest need. Today, you need to step up, ask him to help you hand over sin that you've been making excuses for, and help you to step into the freedom he's won for you. That's the journey of a Christian, stepping into more and more freedom, more and more freedom. As we walk as Christians, believing, trusting Jesus' way, trusting his death and resurrection, handing over our sinful habits and our, and our brokenness to him day after day, and he tidies us up and he cleans us up and he welcomes us in. And perhaps this just makes your heart swell with praise and worship. Just as these men were acutely aware of their need, and they found it met in Jesus, we can happily proclaim with Paul in Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made me alive together with Christ. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. He's made me alive. I can't, I can't raise myself from death. I had to have an external savior come and pick me up and raise me up. And I'm happy to be able to say that. I'm not then going to go back to saying, and now I'm going to try really hard. No, I just depend on this savior who raises from the dead. Romans 6 says, the death he died... He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too must count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Have you understood? That is not 
I'm trying harder to stop sinning. No, counting myself dead to sin. It's been killed. He has killed the oppressor. He has taken the authority away from sin that I was once slave to, in captivity to. I couldn't help but do what it commanded of me. He's killed that. He's broken that. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. I can't help but stand in what he calls me to do. So you count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, we just thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we thank you. And we say you are son of David, son of God. You are the one. You are the way. Let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place. Lord, we just, we're so grateful that we've been plucked out of this miry pit and our feet put on a rock. I do pray you'd help us to humble ourselves as these men humbled themselves. Well, they were humble. They, they didn't kid themselves. They didn't stand in pride. They didn't stand in laziness or foolishness. They were aware, I need him. Lord, help us to be humbly aware, I need him. And we want to receive your grace. As we have a communion, we remember his death, his resurrection, his taking of our place, his giving of us his place. Let's just have worshipful hearts. And I encourage you to respond. As these men responded, as they put something into action, can I encourage you, whatever you know, I need to respond. Enough's enough. I need Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.